tonight. I know it's a Tuesday night uh, and you worked all day, uh, but I didn't save uh, the last of my energy. Uh, I brought my best uh, to give to God tonight. Uh, I dare you to throw your hands in the air uh, and shout uh, one good time in this sanctuary. you to shout uh, until the chains fall off. Uh, shout until walls come down. Shout until you feel the liberty of the Holy Ghost in this place tonight. Somebody give God a praise. Tell your tired body, uh, I will bless the Lord uh, at all times. Uh, tell your weary mind, uh, got to give him praise when I think of the goodness of Jesus. Woo! Ah, oh, yeah. Woo! Come on, put those hands together one more time. Glory! Welcome to Midweek at the Rock Church. Push your neighbor, tell him, neighbor, tell him I came to have a move of God tonight. Ooh, if you believe that, put those hands together one more time and give him praise. Amen. You can be seated for just a few moments as you're making your way back to your seats tonight. I want to take just a quick moment to say what an absolute privilege and an honor it is tonight to have all of our guests in the house of the Lord with us. Rock Church, I need you to lend me your hands, lend me your voice, and let's show all of our guests some Rock Church love tonight. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. To all of our guests, thank you for being here tonight. And enjoying the sweet presence of the Lord with us. For those that are streaming online from across the globe, uh, we're, we're glad that you tuned in tonight. And uh, the only thing we wish is that you were in the building because there's a big difference between watching somebody eat and sitting down at the table your own self. Amen, somebody? You, you, you ever been real hungry? I ain't got no real people in the building. Some of y'all going to hell on a scholarship for lying. I haven't had anybody been real. I'm not talking about H-U-N. I'm talking about H-O-N-G-R. Hungry. Anybody ever been hungry? And you sat down next to somebody, and they broke open a plate of food in front of you? Huh? And you said, oh, my Lord. And they say, you want some? Oh, no. Oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. But inside you said, dear God, I don't know how much longer I can last. You see, when somebody's got something real good in front of them, they make everybody else around them want some of what they got. When people walk into this place uh, or they tune into YouTube or Facebook, uh, they ought to be watching the service saying, my God, uh, I wish I was there tonight, baby. Uh, I wish I could get on it. Come on, somebody. Your praise and worship uh, ought to make 
sinners say, uh, I wish I had the same God they have. Come on, your excitement uh, and your joy of the Lord uh, ought to make people look at you uh, and say, I don't know what they got, uh, but baby, that's what I need in my life. Oh, yeah. You ought to see what my God can do. You ought to feel what I feel in his presence. If you only knew how good he's been to me. I wish I had a witness in the building to when his people walk around like they got the flu. Brother Kurt, God doesn't get the glory when people walk around like this. What's the matter they talking about me? What's the matter my job? People out in the world say whatever they got, I'll pass. The Bible said you are a living epistle, known and read of all men. Before you ever preach Acts 2.38, they're reading the book of your life, and they're watching how you live. They're watching how you respond to adversity. They're watching how you respond to trouble. They're watching how you respond. Oh, that's why the harder the struggle, the greater my praise is. I wish I had some Bible students in the building. The Bible said to it, the more they were afflicted, the more they grew. Bring it on, devil. No pain, no gain. I wish somebody would just shout right now right in the midst of your struggle right in the midst of adversity you ought to give hell a headache tonight you ought to make the devil exhausted I've tried everything I can go ahead brother James go ahead brother James give him the praise I've tried everything I could to keep him down and look at him on a Tuesday night I threw every distraction, I threw every struggle, and look at them on a Tuesday night. Giving God the praise. Somebody ought to take about 60 seconds and let hell know I've got victory tonight.
some people online hungry tonight. You're making some people watching hungry tonight. My God, this is good. My God, you ought to try this right here. My God, you ought to just see this is unbelievable stuff right here. My God, you can't believe what this is like. supposed to be we're supposed to be quiet tonight uh, but I can't help myself oh taste and see uh, that the Lord uh, he is uh, he is uh, he is uh, he's good brother Bennett Brother Bennett, he's good. You could be on a dialysis machine still, but he's been good to you. You could be six feet under, but he's been good to you. Anybody else want to praise him for what he's done tonight? Anybody else feel like praising him because he kept you? Because you're in your right mind? Because you got breath in your body? Calm down, calm down, calm down. Calm down, it's Tuesday night, calm down.
what you're so excited for? What you so excited about tonight? then run the aisles I don't care dance if you want to anybody grateful tonight y'all can just stay right there if you want the rest of the service I'm just going to keep on talking what a privilege I was just trying to welcome all of our guests and this happened back, back to what I was saying Welcome all of our guests and our visitors into the house of the Lord. And to everybody streaming online tonight, welcome to the service of the Lord. We're so grateful that you joined us for this time of tranquility and peace of God. It is our delight and pleasure to have your company in the presence of angelic host. Amen. Amen. We got folks visiting us tonight from all over the country. It's so good to have. Amen. So good to have the Fowler family back with us tonight from all the way from Colorado. So good to have the Condor family back with us all the way from Colorado tonight. So good to have some extended family. Brother Carlos, who's just in our backyard over here in Naples. Good to have him in the house of the Lord with us tonight. Amen. Did I see Sister Alina walk in here somewhere? My goodness. I think we ought to just shout real loud right now and thank God. Come on, show us some love. We're so glad she's here tonight. We love you so much. Amen. And then it is so good. I, I, I looked up and saw a whole group walk in from Bonner Springs, Kansas tonight. They came in early for the pre-impact party. Come on, let's put our hands together. Welcome them into the house of the Lord tonight. I was... I had the privilege of being with these precious people just last week at their conference, and uh, we had a great time, and a whole group of them came in early to enjoy 
what God is doing here. And uh, I believe on Thursday evening, their pastor and first lady will be flying in to join us as well. Amen. Welcome to the Rock Church. How many of you are grateful for the presence of the Lord in this house? Bishop, they ain't sitting down. They're ready tonight. They're ready tonight. And uh, I want to just remind you uh, to take advantage of everything out in the lobby tonight. We've got a handful of really cool stuff for you to do. In the way of pledges, uh, our, our final pledge count thus far is just over $37,000. Amen. And I'll tell you what's even more exciting is that 33000 of that has already been turned in. Oh, let's give God some praise tonight. Amen. And we're just waiting on the, the rest of the 4,000 uh, for those folks to go ahead and let go and let God. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, let God. See, they're in the building somewhere. So just turn around to your neighbor because that means we're going to talk to them somewhere in the building. Tell them, tell them neighbor. Tell them, let, get your hand and tell them, let go and let God. Come on, if you know he's a God that gives you more than you give him, put your hands together and give him praise. Amen. This is going to be an amazing, amazing week. You don't want to miss a single thing that God is doing this week in this house. How many of you, uh, before I go there, are you aware that just a few days ago, a, an earthquake that measured seven plus on the Richter scale uh, has done incredible, incredible damage to the country of Haiti. And as you know, we have several churches there. We started our first church there about six years ago. And uh, now we have seven churches across that country. And many of our churches were deeply, deeply impacted by this earthquake. Dozens, literally dozens of saints of God whose homes were destroyed. Uh, there were a few of our church buildings that were completely destroyed in the earthquake. And uh, we, are, we are very saddened to say that there were even several saints of God whose lives were lost in the constituency of our people there. And I think it would be remiss of us to not take just a moment in this service and lift our voice and pray right now for our brothers, our sisters, and the country of Haiti. Would you help me for just a moment, lift your hands? And while your hands are lifted, would you help me lift your voice? Lord, in the name of Jesus, we know that you sit high and you look low, that you are an all-knowing God, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God. That nothing catches you by surprise and nothing happens outside of the divine providence of your logos, your thoughts, your minds, your plans. God, and though we don't understand, we know that you have a perfect plan. Lord, tonight we pray for every person, every family, every church affected by this disaster in Haiti. And I pray that tonight, even right now, God, we have enough faith to believe that we are standing as intercessors in this building tonight. And while we are praying, we pray that the peace of God would emanate 
supernaturally from this house, God, and let it begin to overshadow the country of Haiti and the homes of our brothers and sisters, God. I pray that through this situation, that unprecedented revival would break forth uh, in the country of Haiti. God, that you would use this occasion so that your name would be glorified and the devil would be horrified. God, show yourself strong and let your strength be made perfect in this country's weakness. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. Somebody shout in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Many have asked whether or not we were organizing any relief for the country. The answer is a resounding yes. I have been working already this week networking uh, with other churches and, and even organizations and uh, have already raised thousands and thousands of dollars of aid for Haiti uh, that we are very quickly working on getting into their hands. Right now, the best, one of the best things we could do is send, uh, send monetary support because sending things is, is extremely difficult, if not near impossible right now. And so to do food drives and collect clothing and that sort of a thing will be almost impossible to get it to them. And so we are, we are raising some funds uh, to get over there as quickly as possible. And so what we are going to do as a church is I want to give you uh, a little over a week to prepare. But a week from this Sunday, uh, on that Sunday morning or night, we are going to take up a special offering uh, for Haiti. And we are going to join our resources along with the other churches and organizations that have helped us and we are going to do our part to be a blessing amen amen somebody so if if you would over the next <coughs> over the next week and a half if you would just take some time and pray and ask the lord what he would have you to do uh, we're going to come together and take up that offering i'll make some announcements to remind you and uh, we want to put our best foot forward I will be traveling to the country of Haiti as soon as administratively possible, <coughs> not only to provide comfort and counsel there, uh, but also to lend strength to uh, our, our dear pastor Senate and the other pastors of our churches there. And uh, I know that they appreciate all the prayers and support from this house. Amen. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, First Lady Senate is going to be with us this week. I think she flies in tomorrow from Port-au-Prince, Haiti. I'm not sure if there's any of other of our saints from the country that'll be here, uh, but she will be with us, and I think it would just be awesome uh, for us to express our love and support uh, to her while she is here, and believe God that while she is here, God will lift her arms up, strengthen her uh, to continue to be the amazing woman of God that she is in that country amen clap your hands and help me thank god one more time for everything he's doing in the country of haiti amen so good to see sister Raina back in the house of the lord tonight she is just a couple of weeks ago gave birth to a beautiful little angel little david uh, is such a beautiful boy. We can't wait to meet him. He's still at home hanging out for a few more days. But it's good to see Sister Raina in the house of God tonight. Love this family. Would you stand with me all over this house as we prepare for the entrance of God's word? 
into this sanctuary. If you were here this Sunday, then you know that the divine hand of God visited us in this place via the ministry of none other than Bishop Booker. Both services were absolutely incredible. A word from God to this house. There was something extra special about Sunday night. There were, there were some dynamic, dynamic things that transpired in this house in the Holy Ghost. And I'm so thankful for a God that knows exactly how and when and where to orchestrate his men and his messengers for his kingdom and for his people. Amen. It was an honor to have him here for one day on Sunday. It is a double honor that he would be here again tonight on a midweek service. Would you help me thank God tonight for that? Amen. Bishop, we love you. I, I don't want to take as much time as I did Sunday, but I want to say again how much you absolutely mean to me. I love you so, so very, very much. And I'm grateful you're here tonight. This church is ready, and we're standing in expectation of whatever it is that God has for us. We want you to come. And tonight, we're going to do it like they do in Rialto, California. And when I say we want you to come, you're going to respond by saying, preach the word as loud as you can. Are you ready? This is what they do in Rialto, California. Bishop Booker, we want you to come and come and preach to us, Bishop. We love you. Oh, praise the Lord, everybody. What a good God. How many love Jesus tonight? Thank you, man. He's a wonderful, wonderful God. While we're standing, let's go to the book of Luke, chapter number 7. The book of Luke, chapter number 7. We're so thrilled to be here. I love your pastor. I'm, I apologize that I cannot here for your conference. I, I didn't, as I said, I didn't realize you were having this conference. We know you have it, but I had no idea. And I feel like I, it's just like a weird time to come, but here we are and, uh, and excited to be with you. Very, very, very excited. And uh, God bless all the people that already come in and all those that will be coming in uh, I know you're going to have an awesome time you're going to have an awesome time when your pastor was talking about watching people eat and being hungry I'm, I'm not going to steal his blessing and I want Jesus to bless him mightily for what he's doing but last two days he's been feeding me and he's been fasting and he's been watching me <laughs> And he said, oh, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And, and he was. He was just, he's probably fasting tonight while he's running all over this platform. God bless him. But uh, he had to be hungry, praise God. So you're beautiful people. We thank God for you. And I, I shouldn't do this publicly, but we want you to know we appreciate all that you all are doing in the nation of Haiti, let alone here. And um, 
our church is going to give $10,000 towards helping those people over there. Your people. Your people. Your people. Your people. Amen. Your people. I'm going to begin reading at verse number 24. Luke 7. I'm going to make this statement before we start reading. I know some of you have heard this. I think your pastor has. I'm not positive. I know Brother Kirk has, I think. And um, I think others here have. Brother Condon, I believe, has. And um, Abraham. And um, if you're an avid Holy Ghost listener, you may have heard it six times. But... Uh, it's one of those, it's the only message that God has ever given me that until it lifts, there's only been a few, maybe two exceptions. It's last, since September of 2019. Only been two exceptions of me going into a church and him directing me to preach something else. I've preached this. Let me know to preach it everywhere I go until the burden lifts. I've never had that happen before. But I think we will understand the import of it. Verse 24 of Luke 7, And when the messengers of John, this is John the Baptist, were departed, he, Jesus, began to speak unto the people concerning John. Went ye out into the wilderness for to see a reed shaken with the wind? Or what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea. I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. And so when Jesus read that in Isaiah's writings, he took it personally. I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Then, after quoting that, Jesus said, For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, this is quite a statement, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. And as if that wasn't mind-boggling enough, he goes on, but he that is least, everybody say least, he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. He's greater than John. Let's ask that the God that spoke this, 
while robed in flesh and who's here tonight would anoint our every heart and mind and turn on the lights and help us see what all he's done for us and wants to do with us. Lord Jesus, in your name, we come before you, God. We are your children by your mercies. And we ask, God, that graciously and powerfully and beautifully your word would unfold. God, not just being spoken, but God unfolded in our hearts and minds and souls and spirits and in all of our tomorrows with greater and greater glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing with me. You may certainly be seated. Now, when I came to Jesus at the age of 19, as I've mentioned here, Sunday, um, I was exceedingly ignorant of Scripture. I could quote one verse, John 3.16. was the only verse I could quote. I had a much, 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 much harder time finding it, but I could quote it. And, um, and I found out I didn't even know what that meant in its fullness. And so when I came to God, this, this Bible was, a, was an uncharted ocean of vast, glorious, beautiful, life-changing, eternity-changing information. And, and it was a whole new world. I had attempted to read it in different places and sundry times, but it was rather sealed to me until I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And when the author of this book took up residence, it did indeed become a new book, as many of you can testify. Having said that, however, it still continues to be an adventure to this day. As I'm approaching 69 years of age, I am shocked at how much I still do not know. And I have gone through it. Uh, let's just say many times. And uh, this coming Easter will be preaching, actually, by the end of Easter, I will, have, I will have, or by the end of April, I will have been preaching 50 years. And I'm still shocked at how much. I know. Now, there's a lot of things, I may have mentioned this, but there's things that people ask me that, from time to time, and I will say, you know, you got me 40 years too late. If you'd have hit me in my 20s, I could have helped you. Because I thought I knew a lot more back then. But in this adventure, I, uh, I enjoyed, I'd sit on the front row of a church, much the entire congregation, the the entire church would have a hard time holding this section right here, let alone of everything else you have. The entire church would have a hard time holding that section of pews right there. And I would sit in the middle of the front row, and I was about four feet from my pastor. 
I had a big chief notebook tablet, a number two lead pencil. I was 19 years old. I was an ex-hippie, and I was not a mountain-living hippie. I did. I, I was a druggy hippie. I liked the music, and I, I did take baths every now and then. So, but all the drugs and everything else, I, I ingested and threw away. And uh, in spite of that, got into a lot of fights. And so when my friends would have seen me sitting on the front row with a big chief notebook tablet and a number two lead pencil, hanging on to every word my pastor said, writing down every verse he gave. My spelling of the books was hideous. I had no idea half the time what he was saying, but I would go back home until I would find that book and find that chapter and find that verse, and I would read above it and read below it, and I'd make notes, and, and then I'd call my poor pastor and ask him questions and drive him crazy. I did not, it was a home missions church, but he managed to be full-time, and, uh, and uh, I didn't know, I didn't think he had anything better to do than answer my questions. And so after a month or two of that, he said, why, why don't you do this? Why don't you write down all your questions and call me once a week? And I said, well, sure, that sounds good. And so that's what, uh, that's what I did. And then I would ask others, and down through the years, things would unfold, and there were times and places God would speak to me, sometimes in a message, sometimes in prayer, in a host of different ways, through people, etc. The text that I've read to you uh, is a text that 20 years ago God explained part of it to me, but it took another 20 years before he explained the real crunchy question that I had. And when he did it, it was a moment that I will never, ever, ever forget and it was what I call a seminal moment in my life. My, my life was never quite the same after that moment. And he waited until I was in exactly, exactly the right place, the right time, the right moment for him to finally answer my question. So in this processes of um, studying and uh, questioning these scriptures, the portion about of men born of women, there's none greater than John, about, again, 20 years ago, I did, I did finally see that. I understood what he was saying. He was not saying that John was greater than Moses or Elijah or Elisha or any of the other prophets, but he said, of men born of women, there is none greater than John. As great as Moses was, as great as Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Zechariah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and on and on and on, as great as they were, they were not greater than John. They were on, they were on, they were on a least level playing field. The greatest of them was not greater than John. Now that's a pretty amazing statement as you stop and realize that Moses' actual ministry, of course he started at 80, 
and he gave up the ghost of the 120. His ministry was 40 years long. Jeremiah's ministry was a little over 40. Uh, we don't know exactly how long, but we know for sure for 40. Isaiah's ministry was 64 years in length. And uh, John the Baptist's ministry was maybe six months. Period. It was over. Six months. John 10.41 tells us that John Baptist did no miracles. He was not like Moses who would do miracles and bring ten plagues that would bring the most mighty nation of that time down to its face. Amen. He never stretched forth the rod and parted a Red Sea. When enemies rose up against Moses from within the camp, God opened the earth. They fell into the earth and he closed the earth back. And the Bible says he sent them to the pit. And not to be a little gross, but it's true. He fast-tracked them to hell. When the enemies of John the Baptist rose up against him, they arrested him and shortly cut his head off. And seemingly God did nothing about it. He never called down fire down out of heaven as did Elijah three times, nor did his prayer shut up the windows of heaven whereby it would not rain and drought would come for three years, as did Elijah or any of the other uh, six miracles. Elijah performed eight powerful miracles in his life that were told of in Scripture. Elisha, who had a double portion of his spirit, performed 16 mighty works, mighty miracles, one of which, the final one, was after he was dead. His bones performed a miracle in raising a man to life. So in spite of his double portion, Elisha or Elijah were not greater than John, though John never caused an axe head to float on the water. Amen. He never raised a woman's dead son to life. And yet all of these who performed these miracles and some of these that preached so long, this man who preached less than six months and did no miracles, they were not greater than John. Now Isaiah's writings, his 66 chapters in the King James English gives us 25,608 words. Jeremiah, again King James, who whose the book of Jeremiah is actually longer than Isaiah's. It has less chapters, but the chapters are longer. And then when you throw in Lamentations that he wrote, Jeremiah writes 35,326 words. Ezekiel writes 29,918 words. Moses, whose, whose history covers a minimum 2,500 years of world history, and he gives us the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, breaking down the early history of Israel, gives us 124,911 words. John wrote nothing. Not one thing. And all of his recorded words put together, you count them out, are less than 600 words. 
technically 585, and most of those are repeats. What you find in Mark, you'll find also in the other Gospels, etc. And so they are repetitious, and we know that one place it says, and with many other words, he taught them, he talked to people, but what we get recorded is 585 compared to the, the thousands, almost 125,000 words of Moses, amen, almost 30,000 of Ezekiel, 35,000 of Jeremiah, 27,000 of Isaiah. He writes nothing, gives us 585 words. He preaches less than six months, and he does not one single miracle. And God said, God manifest in the flesh. The invisible God, the invisible God who cannot die, he's eternal. The invisible God who is a spirit, he has not flesh and bones, therefore surely no blood. The invisible God that tempts no man, neither indeed can be tempted. That invisible God overshadowed a virgin by the name of Mary, and through her womb God became flesh and dwelt among us. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. Jesus said, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. For the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Amen. This eternal God figured out a way through a human body he could taste death for every one of us. And this God who tempts no man and cannot be tempted figured out a way he could be in all points tempted like as you and I yet without sin. And this God who had no blood to shed figured out a way the only, only, only innocent blood that ever pumped through a human heart pumped through his heart and that's the blood he would shed for you and I. That, that God made flesh. That God made flesh said of men born of women Prophets, there is nobody greater than John. That's an amazing thing. That's, it, it, it's mind-boggling. We, need, we know that of the, New, of the Old Testament books, Isaiah is quoted from more than any of the other Old Testament books except for the book of Psalms. Isaiah saw the virgin birth in Isaiah 7, a virgin would conceive. In what we call chapter 9, a son would be born, a child would be given, his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Chapter 11, nations would seek counsel from this descendant of Jesse. 27, he would restore the Jews. 35, he would perform and names miracles the Messiah would perform. In 42, he'd be a light to the Gentiles. In 49, his salvation would reach the ends of the earth. Also, God would never forget Israel through him. In chapter 50, he would be spat upon and beaten. In chapter 53, he would be despised and rejected. He would die for our sins. He would be silent before his accusers. Messiah would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Amen. He would be numbered with the transgressors. In 61... And which is one reason Isaiah 53 is never read publicly 
in any synagogue on earth. It's not. If it does, somebody messed up. Because it gets too close to the bone of Jesus Christ. And in Isaiah 61, Isaiah saw the ministry and reign of Jesus Christ. John has one prophecy that is directly to him and not ever can be laid upon another. And that was our text. He's the voice of chapter 40. He's the voice of him crying in the wilderness saying, prepare you the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. So when Isaiah wrote that 750 years later, he came. And Jesus said of John, the law and the prophets were until John. And John was the one to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. Jesus said nobody of the law and the prophets was greater than John. Regardless of longevity, regardless of writings, regardless of miracles, nobody any greater than John. He's the one that would declare this is the long sought Messiah. This is the one that would say, behold the Lamb which taketh away the sins of the world. This is the one that would say, I baptize you with water, but there's standing out there one among you, amen, who's coming ooh, after me is preferred before me because he is before me. And he said, when you talk about the law and the prophets being unto me, so John being emblematic of all the law and all the prophets. He said, compared to the one that I'm declaring, I am not worthy to carry his shoes. In another place, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. Amen. Amen. So the law and the prophets, however great all that was, and it was glorious, compared to the one he introduces, is nothing. It's important. It's a schoolmaster to bring us to him. Our sublime, great, glorious, awesome Savior. So that I began to understand they were none of them greater 20 years ago. But I struggled with the last statement. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Now, folks, to use a hippie term, that's trippy. That's trippy. One thing I was told, well, well, the reason we're, we're so much more special than John is we have the Holy Ghost. No, that's cool. Then I kept reading and I realized that John had the Holy Ghost in his mother's womb. That's where he got it. We had to be born of the flesh before we could be born of, again of the spirit. He was born of the spirit before he was born of the flesh. You say, well, yeah, but did he talk in tongues in his mother's womb? Well, ask, ask Elizabeth when we cross the river. She will tell you. I don't know if he did or not, but I'm going to tell you one thing. He was active. You hear me? The kid was active. And you start talking about Jesus, and he'd really start kicking. 
makes me wonder about this boy as he's born and finally Zechariah can talk for the first time in nine months. He said his name is John. You wonder, before he's born, we know that Mary came. She'd been visited also by an angel. I said, that holy thing in you was conceived of the Holy Ghost. Elizabeth was pastime. Zechariah was pastime. But he rejuvenated their lives and they produced a child out of due season. But Mary, that which is conceived in you is of the Holy Ghost. You ever wonder, <clears throat> she's a spouse to Joseph, that marriage has not been consummated. It's, it's a binding engagement. So binding that even though the marriage has not been consummated, it'd have to have a divorce. Sit down, Joseph. I need to talk to you. I'm, I'm really busy right now, honey. Please sit down. I have something to tell you. Please, please pay attention to me, Joseph. Yes, yes. I'm pregnant. This is a godly, holy girl. What did you say? I'm with child. I'm going to have a baby. But it's not like you think. It's not like you. Well, baby, right now, I don't know what to think. It's the child. God is the father. An angel told me this. It was Gabriel. And he's trying to think, how can I put her away privily? She's a good woman. She's obviously deluded. She's messed her world up, her life up. She's with child. She's not, uh, he's thinking... How can I divorce her without people finding out? Or how can I take her? Which mountain can I take her behind and stone her in private? And he says, well, after God knows how long they talked, I'm, I'm going to go to sleep. And he goes to his place of abode at that time. And he has a dream and God said, she's telling you the truth, dude. She's going to have a baby. It's of the Holy Ghost. Don't be afraid to marry her. And when he wakes up from that, he's a believer. He said, in fact, when this baby comes, you have to get out of here. I said, wow. So, you know that when that baby's born, she, she, she went off to see Elizabeth and when she tells Elizabeth, I'm going to have a baby, her baby starts flipping. And, and, and Elizabeth says, I don't know how to have this baby. I mean, I'm an old lady, and John's an old man, and it's happened. And, 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 and she says, I'm pregnant too. No. 
did you and Joseph mess up? No. Rose? Who did you mess up with? I didn't mess up. Oh. Mary said, Elizabeth, it's of the Holy Ghost. And that's when Elizabeth's womb starts kicking. And she starts prophesying. Did you ever wonder about when them boys were six or seven, maybe young, but somewhere in that age, they would visit again. You ever wonder about when Jesus and John would look at each other? First time really aware. They just stare at each other. You wonder what vibes they were feeling, what, what things were happening. And maybe John saying, I don't understand what I was going on, but I got this feeling that you know a whole lot more about me than I know about you. To which Jesus could have possibly said, well, I know some things. I don't know all I need to know right now, but I do know this. Me and you both are going to have to be about our father's business. And so all life unfolds, and here it goes, and they meet again. Years later, and he says, this is the long, long sought Messiah. This is the one that God spoke in the garden, saying to Eve, your seed will bruise the serpent's head, and his heel will be bruised. This is the one that, that Moses said, you're not doing too good a job listening to me, but there's a prophet coming and you're going to have to listen to him. Amen. This is the one of which it said that Messiah would come from David's house. This is the one that Micah said would be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata. This is the one that Isaiah said would, re would redeem Israel. Amen. And this man who did no miracles that message alone put him on equal footing with Moses. Elijah, Elisha, amen, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Micah, on and on. And so that when John got his head cut off and he crossed that river into the place of paradise, in my mind's eye, I can see Moses, Isaiah, Elijah, Elisha, the prophets coming, staring, and Moses stepping out. given anything to have your ears. I'd have given anything to be able to do what you did. All the miracles and the breaking of Egypt's teeth in their mouth and the Red Sea and the I'd have given it all to have what you had. 
And what did John have? No miracles, no longevity, no writings, few words. But those few words were so revelatory and powerful. That's what put him on equal footing with them all. So this other part, I'm like, but God. And so after summit of 19, Brother Williams went to preach a couple of days in the Carolinas. And I was on my way up to West Virginia. And I was headed up 95. And I'm listening to the book of Luke. As is my want, I'm going down the highway and I'm, I'm listening to something and I was going through the New Testament again and I'm in Luke and uh, I come to this Luke chapter 7 and there it is. Amen and, 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 and amen. He that, no greater, no greater than John, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. And I, and I shut it off. I'm driving. And I said, God, I've been asking you this for over 40, probably over 45 years. And you have never answered me. What are you talking about? And I waited. And I waited. Then I slowed the car down to the speed limit. I put it on cruise. And I waited. And he didn't say nothing. And I come up to West Virginia. I'm going to give you a bit of advice. Uh, you guys live in a beautiful area down here. I've been to uh, all of the states that I'm aware of. I, think, I don't think I've missed one. And uh, California's gorgeous. There's areas of California that are mind-boggling, mysteriously so. But overall, generally speaking, I don't think there's a more beautiful state in this union than West Virginia, especially in autumn, which is when I was headed up there. And my advice, because I've been there before, is if you ever go up to West Virginia, don't Stay on the major highways. Don't do it. Don't rob yourself. Get off the highways. Get you a paper map if you have to. Go the little roads. Go the little roads. Don't buy gas at Exxon. Don't buy gas at Chevron's. Don't buy gas at Shell oil stations. Buy gas at the mom and pop stores. Because that's where you see West Virginia. And West Virginia is trippy. And you go there, mountain country and mountain people. And, 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 and it's just, I've got a picture of a gas station that I pulled up. Actually, it's a pump. The reason, I didn't even need gas. But I pulled over to this pump. And I got gas out of this pump. A few gallons I needed. Because I could relate to it, this pump was wrapped and held together totally with duct tape. And I said, these are my people. And uh, so I'm getting gas at the, and got a picture of it. And, and so, and you, and you go, and almost every one of those places, if you just stick around a little bit, you'll see there'll be somebody coming 
maybe overalls. I'm not being a smart aleck. Maybe overalls, maybe blue jeans, but they're very, very, very faded. And they didn't buy them that way. And there may be rips, but more often than not, the holes, you can tell, probably came from battery acid or something. The shirts will be flannel. They may have hair and a ponytail. They may be 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 or older. They'll sometimes have a beard that's straggly and goes, goes down. And, and, and good chance they won't have shoes. If they got shoes, they got holes in them. If they got boots, they got holes in them. And, and when they come into a place and they, 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 they say, I want a can of skull. And they put the two six-packs down on the deal. And you got the feeling that you're looking at somebody that's gone AWOL from Robert E. Lee's army. And it's a trip. And I, I preached what I just said. I'm so glad I had COVID. I already had COVID. I can do that all day long. And, uh, and, and so I'm not being, I preach this, what I'm saying to you on September 14th. God talked to me on September 13th. And, and uh, but, but I'm not being a smart aleck. If you want to see AWOL people from Robert E. Lee's army, go to West Virginia. If you want to see people from Mars, go to California. That's where you go to see the people from Mars. They... They, they, they got, they got, I know you all in Florida think you got tattoos. I don't know if you can spell the word out there. They got, they, and, 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 and I know every now and then you see someone with purple hair, green hair and all that. I, I'm just telling you, you look for the spaceships out there. Anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm preaching a camp up there. It's not a large camp, but it's, it's a good camp. Sweet people. It's the first night. They've got me out in a very nice place out in the country. I have to drive through the city. That's the county seat. It's the county seat to get to the campgrounds. The county seat has one flashing red light. It's the only traffic light in the county. The entire county. The county seat, the nearest Walmart, is 40 miles away. You got the picture? We're talking country, folks. And I'm not preaching that first night. It's a youth service. A great young man preached a great service. So I'm driving down these little, this two-lane narrow road, curvy, curvy, through the woods. I'm done with the book of Luke. I'm in West Virginia considered the poorest state in the nation. I'm going to be preaching to some of the sweetest, godliest people. And there's some real poverty there. They love Jesus. They worship him in spirit and truth. And tonight, as I'm driving to the camp meeting, I'm done with Luke. And I'm in the book of John. And John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. And I finally got it. It hit me so hard, and I'm not being melodramatic. I had to wait 
until I could find a spot beside the road where I'd have enough room I could pull over and a car not hit me. And when I found a spot like that, I pulled my car over and I took a hold of the steering wheel and I put my head down and I wept like a baby because he waited well over 40 years till I was in that place at that time to talk to me about the least of the saints in the kingdom being greater than John. And if the least of the saints, listen to, Jesus says what he means and he means what he says. If the least in the kingdom is greater than John, then in the kingdom of God, the least is greater than Moses. The least is greater than Elijah. The least is greater than Elisha. The least is greater than Isaiah. The least is greater than Ezekiel. The least in the kingdom of God is greater than John, and there's no prophet greater than John, but the least in the kingdom is greater than John, and therefore all of them. Now, the only thing and I, why God waited to turn the light on till I was there. I was thunderstruck. I got it. He waited on purpose. He waited on purpose. And I'd been asking for over 40 years, and when he gave it to me, this message that I'm preaching to you and I'm about to preach he told me, you preach this everywhere you go unless otherwise advised. And even with the COVID year of 2020, tonight is the 51st time I have preached this message. So all those years, I guess he's just making up for lost time. The thing that made John great, the only thing, no miracles, no writings, few words, six months preaching maybe, was the message. Behold the Son of God. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. The only thing that makes us great is this death, burial, and resurrection message of the mighty God in Christ. The law and the prophets were until John. And John never did speak of the death of Jesus. Never. We don't know if he knew what was happening then or not. He never spoke of the resurrection. He said he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. He never spoke of those things. We talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter said, the salvation we're talking about, the prophets of old inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come. They searched what or what time the Spirit of Christ that was in them did signify. He goes on to talk about the angels looked into those things. What we've got that makes us great is not anything but the message we preach. This one God, Jesus name, apostolic, death, burial, resurrection message makes us great.
greater than John. Now, I preached this at, at North Little Rock. That building is the most beautiful building, I think, that's been built to the dedication of the one true God in Christ since Herod's temple. Think about it. To the one true God, Jesus Christ. And Herod's temple was built to the one true God by a heathen, but it was built there. And I looked and I told him, I said, this building's awesome. And it is, it's mind-boggling. Then I said, have you ever been to the Vatican? You go in the Vatican and it takes your breath away. The first time I walked into the Vatican, I looked and looked and I realized with a start, this is what John the Revelator saw on the Isle of Patmos when he saw the woman on the beast, this great thing. And he did marvel. And God said, wherefore didst thou marvel? That cup in her hands full of the blood of your brothers and sisters. So buildings do not make you great. I'll tell you something else. Don't make you great. I got a lot of followers on my account. Well, in his heyday with places he'd conquered, Hitler had 50 million. And Jesus had 12. But I'm going to tell you something. Followers don't, that's not what makes you great. No, no, no. And I'm going to tell you something. I love your choir. I love your choir. I love our choir at home. I love it. I love it. And I'm not, I'm, have, have you ever heard the Mormon Tabernacle Choir? Now they don't know how to get down on it. But they got harmony. What they got is like smooth. But choirs are not what makes us great. Our buildings are not what makes us great. Our, 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 our nice clothes, is not, that's not what makes us great. Amen. Our oratory, that's not what makes us great. The only thing that makes us great is this one God, Jesus' name, apostolic, death, burial, and resurrection message. You can repent of your sins. You can be buried with him in baptism. And the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead will dwell in you. You'll be filled and baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. And that gospel we preach, the only thing that made John great, he did no miracles, he did nothing. But the message made him great. And he that's least in the kingdom is greater than John. This is why, hallelujah, 2 Corinthians 3, 9, 12, 9 through 12, for the, if the ministration of the law or condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious on the mount of Sinai had no glory in this respect 
by reason of the glory that excelleth what happened on the day of Pentecost. And so if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth, that which we have is glorious. This message we preach, this salvation people can experience. This is why he said, seeing then we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. What we preach is what makes us great. Don't be ashamed of this one God Jesus name message. It's the only thing we got. And so when Stephen was martyred, the first martyr for the name of Jesus, and he went all around. He did miracle signs and wonders. They didn't kill him for that. They killed him because what he preached about the name of Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And when Stephen was martyred, I see Moses, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah, Elisha, and John the Baptist going to Stephen. I can see John saying, I'd have given anything to have your ministry. He that's least in the kingdom. I want to I I see, is there a 12-year-old here? You can quote Acts 2.38. Would you stand? If you're 12 and you can quote Acts 2.38, go ahead, stand up. Where are you? You? Somebody, wave your hand. I know you're here. Come here, sissy. Hither. Can you quote 39 as well? Stand right here. It's the day of Pentecost. This isn't the apostle Peter. What's your first name again? This is Alyssa. Alyssa's 12. Have you been a missionary yet? Have you started a church yet? Have you taught 15 Bible studies yet? Can you quote Acts 2.38? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's verse 39. Hold on. Hold 
see this young lady? Jesus means what he says. He says what he means. He's not playing games with us. The law and the prophets were until John. Of men born and women, there was nobody greater than John. But he, she that is least in the kingdom is greater than John. Now listen, we're not talking better. We're not talking smarter. None of us are better than anybody else. We're not smarter than anybody else. But we do have a neat message, hallelujah. It's that message that makes us great. It's this one God, Jesus' name, apostolic death, burial, and resurrection message. Thank you, sissy. Now, musicians, come. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not done yet, but I'm going to give you hope. I'm about to start preaching. Here is a real problem I have and I can't understand. If miracles makes us greater than Moses, we got a long ways to go. If riding makes us better than Moses, we got a lot of riding to do to beat them boys. John didn't write nothing, 585 words. This is what I don't understand. The only thing that makes us great is this gospel message. He, though we are an angel, preach any other message unto you than that which we have preached. Let him be accursed. As I said before, so say I now again. Though we are an angel, preach any other gospel. Let him be accursed. Amen. Neither is there salvation in any other. If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. So what I don't understand is people, they want to be accepted by evangelical groups. They want them to think, we're smart. And it's just semantics. And I'm watching some people step away from this truth so they can be accepted by an evangelical world that is dying. The largest evangelical group in all of America is the Southern Baptist. I'm not being ugly. They, they wrote that as 2020 they said we lost 40% of our people. They walked away and have not come back. Well, I'm going to tell you something. It ain't that way in the one God, Jesus' name, apostolic. You guys had revival in 2020. I'm going to tell you something. We had revival in 2020. We're having revival in 19. And it's happening. What's happening is we're still teaching people the truth. We're still giving them the meat of the word. We're still, yeah, yeah, yeah. God blesses his word. That's what the 
blesses. That's what he wants. We've got to stick to this truth. And I'm about to close. In fact, let's stand. Just I got a friend of mine, Brother Williams. He's gold now. He's old man, precious man. His name is Marvin. Little Irishman. He's about this tall. Little Irishman. Came to America when he's 19 years old. He got the truth. McGee. He wrote the book. Is Jesus in the Godhead or the Godhead in Jesus? That's where he got the revelation. Came to America at 19 years of age. I took him out to Long Beach. Took him to the Queen Mary. We went into the Queen Mary. He said, can we go down this corridor? Sure. He would stop. Can we go to the top? Yes. Can we go down? Yes. After a while, I said, are you hungry? We bit. Let's go to the restaurant. Went to the Winston Churchill dining room. We sat down. We ordered. He said, Brother Booker, when I was 19 years of age, I came to America, and it was on this ship that I rode. I said, I know that. That's why I brought you here. Got up and told our church. I said, I'm a wee little Irishman, and I went. I'm not making fun of you. Everybody in this house, if you're 6'2", if you're 6 foot 2 inches tall, you are 90, you are taller than 94% of the human race. You're 6 foot 2. I'm not making fun of nobody. Even though I'm 6'6". Six, six, I'm really not. So he said, I was a wee little Irishman. And I'm starting a church in London town. He said, we were working on a building. I'd want a few people to God. They're out there working, trying to make it look nice. And he said, one day, one day, a man in a tweed suit and a vest and a nice hat came dapper shoes and, and he walked up and with his English accent said are you the pastor here indeed are you Pentecostal I am we have a girls school we we're studying religions I can't find anybody to tell us about Pentecost would you come to our college and talk to us about Pentecost. Indeed. He said, so he brings him in. He said, this is in the 60s. And already he said, the attitudes are as big as London. Girl sitting there doing gum. <laughs> Going to sleep. <laughs> And, and, and said, we have here 
Mr. Miller, he's going to talk to us about Pentecostals. So I'll be back in an hour. So he gets up. He said, I began to talk to him about the Pentecostal experience, what it is we believe. And there said the teacher over here was an elderly lady. She was very wizened. And as he got into the, the doctrine and the Holy Ghost, she's sitting there going, Well, when the girls saw her going, that made them, made them interested. They started paying more attention. That long story short, he comes, comes the man back, and he said, well, did we enjoy it? Yes, we did. We enjoyed it very much. Really? Yes, we did. We enjoyed it. We want, we, we, would you like him back? Yes, we want him back. Next week? Yes. The little old lady. So he came back the next week and the next week and the next week and the next week. He said, Brother Booker, I was just telling him about the apostolic experience, about the Holy Ghost, about Jesus Christ being God. And said, by the fourth week, some of the girls started taking off makeup, dressing better sitting up he said the last time I was allowed to come he said a girl that had been paying very close attention she stood up halfway through she started crying and I said young lady just put your hands in the air and she put her hands in the air and God filled her with the Holy Ghost so he said, they'd heard about all of Pentecost they wanted to hear. He said, but so several of the girls started coming to our church. He said, so I get a knock on the door. No, 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 I'm sorry. He said, I needed a car. I needed a car. I needed a car. I was tired of the buses. All the trams. He said, so I'm looking through the paper and I see a car right parts he said I get on the phone and I call and it rings and rings and rings and rings and rings and rings and rings finally somebody answered hello I'm calling about a car do what calling about a car said to ask for somebody here's the name oh yeah I know him said well you just hang on we'll have to get him he said he hung on for 10 minutes or more finally somebody come he said he realized he found out later he was calling a a Bible college the nominal Bible college Pentecostal, but denominal. Boy gets on. He said, "Well, he said I can't really bring the car to you, but can you come out and look at it? Where you at?" Yes, I'll catch buses. So he goes and he sees the car. It's rusted. It's pitiful. It's covered brown with weeds. He don't have a mechanical bone in his body. He he said, "I'm I'm sorry. I won't be able to. I can't fix anything like that." He said, "I understand." He said, "Would you like to meet the chancellor?" of our college he said well sure so he goes in he said the man stands up his big beefy hand takes my wee little Irish hand he was a Welshman if you need to sit go ahead it's okay I'll be here just a tiny bit longer if you no problem I understand the need to sit trust me he said brother Booker he was he was as tall as you but he said he was twice as wide but his was muscle. 
And, and he used to be a coal miner. He had a twin brother as big as him, he said. He said, I would pick up a piece of coal, 200 pounds, and my brother would hit it with a sledgehammer and break it. And then he would pick up and I'd do the same with him. So the man said, now you're Pentecostal, are ye? Yes, I am. Speaking in tongues? Oh, yes, you, you, know, you know, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not Pentecostal. You've got to speak in tongues. So they're talking. After a while, the man's wife comes in. The student leaves. He's there. And he says, okay, so you're Pentecostal. He said, tell me, what is the main difference between differences of belief between you and us. And he said, well, I can probably the first thing you would see in our services is when we baptize somebody, what we do is we baptize them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. And the man stopped. And he stood up from his desk said, I know who you are. Donald Gee, the author, he warned us you were coming. Get out of my office now. Sir, do you understand we're not the first people to baptize in Jesus' name. I said, get out. Do you understand on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. He baptized in the name of Jesus, and they were gladly, 3,000 to do so. Get out of my office. Do you understand, sir, that Paul was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and he baptized the believers at, at Philippi in Jesus' name and, and, in, and in Ephesus. Finally, he said, he comes over, he spins me around, he picks me up by the nap of the neck in the seat of the breeches and said, he's marching me as if I'm a tiny sack of potatoes. He goes over, he lets go, hold, he opens the door, and he heaves, heaves me out of the door with the greatest of ease. And I'm flying through the air. He said, but I was young and lithe, and I landed on my feet. And as he tried to slam the door, I made my way back. And he said, I put my little foot in the door. And he didn't get it shut. And he's marching on his way back to the desk. And I walked in and I said, you, sir, have no right to throw me out. I'm giving you Bible, sir. And I'm fixing to give you some more. To it, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name. I even I am the Lord. Beside me there is no Savior. To wit. And, and without controversy, great is the mystery of God and his God. And like he said, the man just stood there, immobile. He was like the deer in the headlights. He said, it poured out of me. I was going on three, four, five minutes. All the scriptures poured. Finally, the man's wife came. Son, son, please, son. Please, I think that's enough. Well, I was just giving him scripture. He thinks I'm a heretic. I get Bible for what we believe. Yes, I know, but I think it's time to go. If you'd like some more, I'd be happy 
goodbye. I went home and caught the buses. Two days later, opens the door and there's three young men. Are you the Irish preacher that the chancellor threw out of his office? Indeed. Why did he throw you out? He doesn't like my doctrine. What's wrong with your doctrine? Nothing's wrong with my doctrine. Would you explain it to us? Happy to. And he said, two and a half, three hours later, they said, there's nothing wrong with your doctrine. It makes total sense to us. And then, a week later, he gets a phone call. There's a pastor from Wales. He said, are you the preacher? The, uh, the little Irish preacher? Yes. Did Chancellor so-and-so heave you out of it, his office physically? Indeed. Why? He didn't like my doctrine. Are you Pentecostal? Absolutely. You speak in tongues. Of course, you've got to speak in tongues. You're not Pentecostal. He said, okay, we're having a conference two weeks from today. It goes Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Friday, it's Wednesday night, Thursday at noon, Thursday night, Friday at noon, Friday night. We do have a session for just ministers on, on Saturday morning. He said, there will be 70 churches represented, there will be 65 to 70 Ministers there. I want you to preach the opening message Wednesday night. Indeed. This is what he told us. I really am close to being done. He, uh, he said to our church, he said, I got up and I opened my Bible and I preached. And he said, I, I choked. And I preached a generic Weasley message whereby I said a lot of words and managed to say nothing. And as I was stepping away from the pulpit, I found out they did indeed have the Holy Ghost because over here came a powerful message in tongues. The place was silent. And over here came the interpretation. And the interpretation was, I have this night sent my servant into your midst to declare unto you my truth. And this night, my servant did not obey me. He said, now, how do you suppose this wee little preacher felt? And he said, the pastor stepped up to me and he said, we're having service tomorrow at 12 noon. You will preach again tomorrow at 12 noon. He said, yes, sir. He said, now, folks, what do you suppose this wee little preacher figured out to preach the next day? The mighty God in Christ and that we are buried with him in baptism and wise to walk in the newness of life. And he said, I gave him the message. And from that message, 17 of those churches became one God, Jesus' name, apostolic churches. Now let's all stand. Brothers and sisters, we're in the last of the last days. 
The greatest thing God's given us is this message. Anybody glad God's honored you so much as to give you that message? So Jesus, us to preach this, teach this, love this, embrace this, declare this to this city, to this world, to our neighbors, to co-workers, to family. God, to whosoever will, help us in Jesus' name to come out of our shells more powerfully and mightily than ever. The only thing that makes us great is this message that he's given us to declare. Let's lift our hands and love him. Come on. Somebody needs to respond to the presence of the Lord that's here. Come on. Would you step out of your pew for just a few moments tonight? I believe if you'll make your way down to this altar and lift your hands, the power of God's word wants to reach down right now in this sanctuary. Come on. Come on, the power of this message is here tonight. There's healing in this message. There's deliverance in this message tonight. Come on. Come on, I'm urging you to get out of your seat tonight. And come to an altar. Come to an altar of God tonight with your hands lifted. Come on, lift your hands. If you've got the Holy Ghost and you've been baptized in Jesus' name, God's hand is on you tonight. Come on. Come on, that's it. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. never know. Precious Lamb of God. Come on, come on. Now behold the Lamb. Precious Lamb of God. Come on, that's you, Jesus. Born in Come on, out of all of the people in the universe. God found you and he gave you the truth and he put his spirit inside of you. Come on, that's it, that's it. Jesus! Jesus! Somebody lift your voice tonight. Jesus, Lamb of God. Come on, come on. You're not a second-rate citizen. You're not a nobody. You're not the bottom of the barrel. You are a child of God with a prophetic power and a prophetic touch of 
for the almighty God upon you. Come on, lift your hands. God's hand is on you. His hand is on your future. His hand is on your destiny. His hand. Uh,